Ha! Gather up your best regalia. We're all strutting by azaleas. Party in that hot house round the block. Oh, shovel on a four And that was Greenhouse Stump by Dandy Wellington. Welcome to Fashion History with American Duchess. Woo! I'm one of your hosts, Lauren Stoll. And I am Abby Cox. And we're going to talk to somebody that we are so impressed with that we look up to. It's Cynthia Secchi from Red Threaded. Um, we're going to talk all about your career and, and all like amazing stuff. So if you're interested in costume design for stage and screen, corsetry, running your own costume shop, this is the podcast for you. Hello, Cynthia. Hi, Cynthia. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having we're, me. We're honored to that you're here. We're so excited. Yeah. So we're just going to get right into it. How's that sound? <laughs> sure. Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So just for those listening at home who may not know who you are, which I would be surprised about because um, you're super famous. At this point, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, can you just go yeah, ahead and tell us a bit well, about yeah, yourself? Yeah, give us the background. And uh, yeah. your business and, and things like that, Red Threaded. Yeah. So I've loved costuming forever, basically. Um, but what's the weird thing is I was never one of those kids who dressed up in princess dresses. I like didn't play dress up. I wanted a prairie dress so I could like run around in the woods and pretend to be Laura Ingalls Wilder instead of being a princess. But um, I, I learned to sew um, when I was about four or five years old uh, by hand. And then my mom taught me machine sewing when I was seven. So sewing has always just been something that I do. Um, and then when I was in my teens, about 14 years old, I watched the Lord of the Rings special features um, about the costume design for those movies. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that's actually a job that people do. Like adults do that for work every day. That looks awesome. I would like to do that. So um I was, I was 14 when I decided that this is what I wanted to do, more or less. Um, you know, I had no idea what the industry was like. I just knew, oh, look at that costume shop in that video. I want to go be there. That's where I want to be. So um, I applied to a lot of different colleges for, for costuming, and I was specifically looking for costume technology because I um, really liked the makeup part of things. Mm. I enjoyed design, but what I noticed is that if you're a costume designer for like films or theaters, most of the time you are drawing and you're working with directors and you're you're a little more hands-off from the clothes themselves. And I, I knew I wanted to be hands-on, so I went specifically for costume technology. And uh, in in the meantime, in high school, I was um, I was homeschooled, and so I was allowed some time to kind of follow my interests wherever they might lead. And for me, that led me down this nerdy path of volunteering at a living history site in Texas in full Victorian dress in July, and uh, <laughs> man, it was very warm. It's a lot like Jane Austen festival, <laughs> and uh, yeah, right. Um, so that I was kind of finding as many opportunities and excuses to make costumes as I could. Um, and then I studied costume tech at North Carolina School of the Arts. And that is a very um, theatrically inclined training program. So it's, you do historical stuff, but it's primarily let's learn how to make clothing for theater. Let's learn how to manage a shop, manage a group of people, manage a team, work on um, tight deadlines, that kind of thing. And then I graduated in the recession, which was a terrible plan. <laughs> it was just awful. When I applied for college, one of their selling points was, oh, 98% of people in the tech programs have a job in their field at graduation. Isn't that cool? Woo. I know. I was like, that sounds great. And then five years later, everything is different. I'm looking around at all my friends on, on like the graduation stage. And I'm like, none of us have jobs. Maybe maybe a quarter, if that, have, of us have jobs. Yeah. But most of us do not. I sent a resume to every theater in the United States that had some sort of costume shop. And I heard back from nobody. That's how wow. like wild That's it was in 2010. So. Yeah. 
So I was sort of forced into this red threaded business um, because I'd been selling off all those costumes from high school to try to pay my bills while in college and people were buying them and people wanted more. So it mm. snowballed from there. It's kind of how this all got started. It's like no other choice. It's kind of like you born <laughs> with American Dungeons. familiar. <laughs> It's like, what do you do? Yeah, really? I, yeah, because I'm sure when you were, at, you, we were about the same time. You were, yeah. we were, you know, you, we didn't know each other then, but you were developing American Duchess around the same time I was starting this. And yeah, there wasn't much out there for yeah. anyone in any sort of artistic field. Yeah, no, I went yeah. to grad school instead. I was like, I'm not going to find a job, so I might as well just go to Europe for you. <laughs> My problem is that I went to the school for undergrad that I would want to go to for grad school. Um, so I, at the time I was like, well, and, and I took every grad level class offered while I was there uh, as an undergrad, but I took every class that like they had. So I was kind of like, uh, do, do I want to go get more debt somewhere else? I don't know. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, wow. so you started so I'm, with, I'm cur- Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, go with Lauren. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm curious where the name came from, Red Threaded. I've always wondered why okay. it's called that. <laughs> oh, I was trying, I, this was in college, and I was trying to come up with a good name for this Etsy shop that I was going to start. And I asked my boyfriend, now my husband at the time, my boyfriend, for input. And I was like, he's not going to have any idea, whatever. I'm just going to ask him anyway, um, you know, to include him on this little project of mine. And he thinks for about 10 seconds. And he goes, well, what about red threaded? Because you're a redhead and you're always covered in a thread and it's kind of cute and it has sewing and it's not too, like, <laughs> grandma-y. <laughs> it all makes sense now. Yeah. Red yeah. And, red threaded. And, yeah. <laughs> I was why like, did I oh. not put that together? Like it's been years now. And I'm like, why is it called Red Threaded? Of course. Oh, no. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is an awesome name. Yeah. yeah so I was like, oh, time. wow. You actually ha- had a good idea. That's perfect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 10 points to you, boyfriend. I know. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh, that's. I'm sorry, this is making me laugh. It's like, oh, that actually wasn't a terrible idea. I know, because I, I was not expecting anything at yeah. all. And yeah, so there yeah, that was. And it was like perfect because it flows really well too. It's like, oh yeah, red threaded. Like it's not yeah. hard to say. It flows nicely and it's one word and punchy. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I'm sure someone already has that. So then I looked online and no one else was working under that. And I thought, oh, great, cool. There you go. It's very, very important in business to have a memorable name. Um, And in sewing, uh, the sewing world, there's so many puns around sewing and stitch and thread (laughs) and time and stuff. And but it has to be memorable. Um, Business advice for anybody who wants to get into business: like, come up with a a catchy name that isn't too obscure, but you know, Mm -hmm. sounds nice and feels good to say, and people can remember. So, uh, red thread is definitely memorable. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, husband. (laughs) So then I married him because, you know. (laughs) As your reward, I shall marry you. (laughs) And you too shall be covered in thread for the rest of your life, whether you like it. You'll never never Mm -hmm. escape. And you'll have to build me cutting tables and listen to my rambling about corsets forever. I bought this thread and it just really sucks. And I try to get this cotillion and I just don't like it. And it's not very good. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's actually a champ at pre-washing fabrics now. Because um, the one thing we don't have in the studio is a washer and dryer, which I wish we had, um, but we don't. So I run all that stuff home and I'm like running laundry at night and I usually forget and like fall asleep on the couch. And then he has to <laughs> put it in the dryer for me to pre-wash fabric for shows and stuff it's very silly (laughs) high scenes of the super professional business I'm running here (laughs) (laughs) it's always it's always stuff like that though it's the nice stories where you hear like husbands or wives helping and it's a team and it's supportive and and just nice and good and it's giving me all sorts of warm fuzzy feelings 
So you've kind of gone into your history about why Red Threaded got started with Etsy and the recession and things like that. What I'm really curious about is how you decided to focus on costume construction for Broadway shows, regional theater, other productions, but then you also have this amazing historic corset business um, on the side. It's it's like, what? why the two? <laughs> like, what, what made you go both of those directions um, simultaneously? Yeah, because they are kind of two different businesses, right? You know, there's, it's, it's two different focuses, uh, but they do kind of feed off of each other. So the theater side is fun because I really enjoy working on shows and working in that collaborative project-based aspect. You know, every big theater contract is different. Each designer has their own way of doing things, and I get to work on... Um, in college. So that, you know, that is what I thought I was going to be going to do after school. I was going to go work in a costume shop somewhere working on theater forever. um, And I would be someone else's employee and that would be it. Um, Of course, with the recession, that was not possible. Uh, As I started selling stuff off on Etsy, you know, I was selling all these historical costumes that I had made for myself in high school and they were selling well. And Then I started selling a few of my corsets on Etsy and those also sold well. And I realized that there was this niche that some people were filling, but it wasn't, there was room in this niche for historical corsetry. Mm -hmm. And I'd always found engineering in corsetry very interesting. And um, the nice thing is that it's shippable. You know, I'm not sending an entire gown overseas and I don't have to deal with fitting sleeves and arm size on people long distance. You know, corset yeah. fitting is tricky, but in a lot of ways it's simpler than, you know, if you're doing a full costume for an individual client. Um, so those sales just kept coming in. And then when I really thought about it, I, I thought, you know, the thing that is really missing is that nobody is or very few people are selling in stock, ready to ship historical corsets in a variety of periods. There were only a couple of other companies doing anything even remotely similar. So I started doing that and that filled in nicely when the theater contracts are, are slower or in the off season because there's there are seasons to theater work. Yeah. There's a lot of work in the fall. I'm sure you guys see this in shoe sales. You see the yes. patterns. You know when they're getting ready for Tony yep. Award season and, or October. when the tourists are going out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So the two kind of, they mesh really well. And what's interesting is that the historical off season and the theater off seasons are kind of like opposite a little bit. I've seen from when people are buying corsets. So they really kind of fill in nicely. And the other thing is that if I were to stop selling historical corsets, I would I was also stop selling those to theaters because a lot of theaters buy our yeah. corsets. Nice. And so so that it, it it is all kind of it all is all kind of one. Much like you guys with American Duchess, you know, you have your historical individual private client base, but you also have the theater side that is ordering as well. Yeah. And it works for both. Yeah. It's interesting that you started in the theater world and then developed the um, e-commerce to direct to consumer. And we started direct to consumer, never expecting the theater world, and we just sort yeah. of <laughs> <laughs> developed it that way. Um, yeah, it, it does form a very big part of our business and a very big part of your business too, um, which is awesome. I love that the theater world is using small makers, small manufacturers to produce their their costumes parts of their costumes yeah so happy days (laughs) well the whole theater world is is really small it's a bunch of small businesses really because even in new york the people making all the costumes it's individual shops and you know they might employ 10 to 50 people but it's these are all just little small businesses tucked away in the garment district making all of these great things. And uh, so I'm doing that just out here in Colorado instead. <laughs> so that That's interesting um, because we get, and I'm sure you get questions all the time from prospective uh, young folks coming young up people. who want to be costumers or they're looking for jobs. Um, and I didn't know this, but I always assumed that, oh, 
such and such theater on Broadway has a costume shop, a big costume mm-hmm. shop. Uh, but you're kind of implying that that's not necessarily true, that the small shops uh, more like yours are becoming more common or have always been the way or how does that for those of uh, those people out there not us those people out there that are like I want to do what Cynthia does kind of how do I get into that world um what are sort of the mechanics of it you touched on it a little bit yeah is that too much information to give (laughs) no no that's it's interesting because I didn't know much about how the behind the scenes production worked for for Broadway and that kind of thing either um, until I went to school. So it changed in the recession. Before the recession, there was a shop called Barbara Matera's. She founded a costume shop, I think in the 80s, I want to say. I'm probably getting this wrong. And someone who's older than me is going to be like, she got that totally wrong. But (laughs) everyone went to work for Matera's. There were some other shops as well. Um, But Barbara Matera had a huge costume shop and they would do a lot of the what are called builds for Broadway shows. So at any given day, they could have, you know, there's Phantom of the Opera over in that corner and there's Wicked and there's this one and this one and this one. And then there's a film over there. Uh, And they would keep records on all of these costumes that they made for each show. So if it went on tour or if they needed a replacement, they'd just go back to Matera's and be like, okay, we need another, um, you know, Christine dress. That changed in the recession because Barbara Matera's closed. Um, which was part recession and part um, other issues. Um, So that was scary because that was the year before I graduated. So the place where all my friends had just gotten hired closed. Oh, Uh, gosh. Terrifying. So there were other shops in in New York, and these are all individual businesses, and they work that same way with theaters, with Broadway shows. Because a show doesn't have its own shop. They have a wardrobe crew. So they have a wardrobe supervisor and people who do maintenance and who run quick changes and that kind of thing. Mm. But they don't have their own costume shop that's making stuff. They job all of that out because they don't know how long a show will run. If a show only runs for two months, there's no point in hiring on a huge costume staff for the, the, the manufacturing side of that. So that's all done offsite in other costume shops. Um, I'm a little weird because I'm not in New York and up until very recently it was considered like a moot point that you would go to New York if you were going to work for Broadway or for big theaters but with Skype and with FedEx and email and texting pictures to designers it's so simple now to work long distance that you can kind of do this from anywhere and what I think my generation is starting to realize is that we can go work somewhere with a little bit less overhead yeah. and we might not get the lead dress. You know, we're not going to get Elsa's quick change dress because we can't go and do, you know, the research and development and the multiple fittings required for that kind of thing. But we are going to get a lot of the chorus looks, the, the simpler stuff that can be fit long distance. And, um, and then you get to live, not in New York City, which is something that I never want to do. A lot of people love New York, and I would die if I lived in New York, I think. I think I would just turn into a little pile of, like, introvert mush, and that would be it. <laughs> nice to visit. Nice yeah, to come home. <laughs> I like leaving. I like visiting, and I, then I really like leaving and then getting in my car and driving places on my own terms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. so that's a little bit also, of it's a little bit more affordable in other places than New York. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Although but I did LA. pick a really expensive place to move to accidentally. So <laughs> the Denver Boulder area is really expensive, kids. Just be aware of that. It's not it is great. It is now. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, that's only the last yeah. 10 years that it's gotten to be. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and guess what? Reno's doing that now, too. So we might not be able to stay in Reno if we don't make enough money. Everyone's just going to move to the Midwest, where it's still cheap. (laughs) We'll all end up back in Texas. Hooray. Uh, So L.A. did not draw you either. You never had a desire to go down there and work in. Or is there just not really a lot of costume work in L.A., uh, contrary to popular belief? There is a lot of costume work in L.A. It's it's film-based primarily. Um, and 
the school I went to was more theatrically inclined as far as training at that time. So their connections, for the most part, were in the theater side of things. Um, they would take students, like a couple of design students every year to New York to go fabric shopping and meet people in the garment district. Um, so the connections were there. The connections weren't so much in LA. Um, so we really didn't get much training as far as film costumes go. Mm. That's changed now. Um, they are collaborating because School of the Arts has a film school. They, ha they teach filmmaking and directing and cinematography and all this stuff. But when I went, there was almost no collaboration between the film departments, the film school, and the School of Design and Production, which was teaching theater. Now they're collaborating, and it's great because the, the costumers graduating now are getting film experience and getting connections in Los Angeles. But I, it was just something I didn't, like, I had no ties there and no real in. So yeah, that makes sense. So it is kind of two different tracks Yeah. Uh, for those listening that are interested kind of in this. Um, mm -hmm. Connections, you keep mentioning connections, so let's just say again how important relationships are. <laughs> It's not what you know, yes. it's who you know. <laughs> so every single large theater contract that Red Threaded has ever gotten has come through someone I know or someone I know recommending me. Every single one. So, yeah, it's, it's who you know. And I like to tell um, people who, like students, who might want to get into this, you know, they tell you to keep networking, like network, 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 network. But if you're kind of not the most extroverted person or you're not great at you know going up to that bar at that theater conference and meeting everyone in 30 minutes some people can do that especially um, in the theater world it's people, like extroverts everywhere and you're like yeah <laughs> yeah so it, and it can be scary prospect if you're not like that but um I feel like I am proof that you don't have to do that and you can still make it because I suck at all of that part of it um but you just need to focus on being someone who people like to work with and who gets their stuff done on time those are kind of the two things if you are good to work with and you do decent work and it's done on time people will remember you and they'll recommend you to others. And that's kind of just how it goes. It just snowballs from there. And if you're in school right now, those people you're meeting now and those friendships you're making now are going to be your job connections in five to 10 years. Yeah. Awesome advice. So Abby, I know you're itching to ask Cynthia about corsets. I am. Uh, so I will shut up about business. <laughs> I'm like, business. I know. Well, they're both like really valid points of discussion. And I don't know about you, Cynthia, but we've started getting more and more. I mean, you and I talked about it briefly, but more and more intern requests of students looking yeah. for internships. And it's like, uh, ooh, I, ooh, ooh, every uh, week I get an yeah. email every week. Yeah, so it's a it's something that we need to talk about because we know that that these young people are listening and and trying to figure out how they're yeah. going to make their careers and those bright young whippersnappers with their lack of recession and stuff. I know, I they know. So easy. <laughs> um, and they have Instagram and yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these wonderful tools for introverts to market themselves with. Without having to go up to someone in the bar to, and, and put yourself You never have there. to talk to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah. But yeah, to switch gears back to, to corsetry and historic corsetry. Um, I am I am curious about, you, you kind of touched on it, like you like the engineering side of it. It's obviously easier to do it for multiple private customers long distance than actually making clothing pieces itself. Um, I, I'm just I want to pick your brain a little bit about what you find interesting about patterning historic corset shapes versus, say, trying to go into the more modern corset industry, which seems to be where mm -hmm. most corset makers do like are trying to dominate the field. But but you're going into the historic side of things. And, and what do you find interesting about the patterning of, of those shapes versus others? I think one of the main differences um, between modern corsetry and historical corsetry is that a lot of modern corsetry, to speak generally um, and broadly, 
Unless you're talking about waist training corsets, a lot of modern corsetry is made more to fit the body. So you're making your cor the corset to fit the body and the measurements of the person. What I'm noticing, though, with historical drafts and historical corsetry is that it's more that you are shaping the body to fit that silhouette, that historical silhouette. Because if you make every single historical corset to fit the body exactly the same way, you're not going to get those changes, those subtle changes in silhouette. So that's something that I've, it's been a, it's been a process for me to learn um, because, you know, early on when you're kind of just learning about corsetry, sometimes you'll hear, oh, well, you just have to subtract the same amount off of everywhere and then there you go and then it'll fit. But if you want to reduce the waist, you have to take more off the waist than the bust. And, you know, so so that's kind of a difference between modern, more fashion um, corsetry. But then again, there is a lot of modern corsetry that does like d is for dramatic reductions and dramatic shapes. But um, historical, you do have to make that silhouette work on that body. Um, and then the other thing is that modern corsetry, a lot of it, again, to speak broadly, because of course there are makers who who don't do this and who do different things, but a lot of it, um, you're lifting the bust and you want a, a lifted kind of, um, I'm like gesturing as if you guys can see me, which is silly. <laughs> I, I can see you doing the, the lift, the boob lift gesture. It's but you that know, the, universal. The, like, high lifted modern bust. But historically, there are very few periods where that is what you wanted. Yeah. If you look at Victorian corsetry, especially, it is it is lifted, but it's not like way up at your chin, um, which is how you can tell if someone's wearing like a modern off the rack overbust corset under their Victorian dresses is if their bust line is way too high. So that low low so bust you can keep line looks so. I know, right? Or such that that photo of the lady with the teacup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks weird to our modern sensibilities. I think that really low Victorian bust, and and especially then you go into Edwardian and the 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 pigeon front look, and that's just wild to a modern eye. But that's a huge difference between modern, most modern corsetry and uh, historical. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bust points and reductions mm -hmm. and. Yeah, makes sense. Padding. Abdomen shapes. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> now modern, that's a good point because modern corsetry, you know, it's all about I want to flatten the, the, my belly. You know, that's, mm -hmm. that's a big selling point and a big thing that people ask for a lot. But historically, bellies were fine most of the time. You know, you, yeah. Victorian, you had the little, like, from the side, you get that nice belly silhouette. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm, exactly. Um, okay, so with that, to kind of continue, um, you kind of touched on it already, but if maybe there's something more specific that you found interesting, um, I'm curious to know what the best lesson you've learned or like the most interesting nugget of discovery that you've had while patterning your historic course in line. And it doesn't matter what time period it's from, it's, it's what's the one thing that you were like, Oh, this is so cool. <laughs> I had no idea. Like that kind of aha moment when you were going when you're going through these this process. I I a lot of my aha moments have more to do with materials than patterning, but one of the patterning aha moments was when I was working on the 1790s transitional stays that we did earlier this year. Um because I looked at a bunch of different options online and like basically every extant mm -hmm. from that era. And it's a wacky period for fashion and for corsetry. It is super weird. And it was sort of an everything goes kind of time mm -hmm. from what I can tell. And so then I thought, okay, well, there's all these different weird designs and which one is going to be able to, what, what can I produce effectively and at the right price point What's going to give the right silhouette to the um, the most people, and how am I going to do this? So I went, I thought, okay, how were they doing it in the time? Because suddenly, if you're a stay maker, you have all these ladies coming to you and saying, like, I want boobs again. <laughs> so, I want them out and low. So what do you, <laughs> I would like 
to have boobs again. What do I do? Right. Um, <laughs> so I thought, okay, what do I do? I'm going to just cut. I'm going to take my 1780s stays pattern and I'm going to cut out a bust shape and then I'm going to put a bust gusset in it. And that Works. is it, basically. Yeah. I cut off the tabs. I left the, I put a busk down the front because, um, especially from looking at um, Sabine's Bernhardt stays, which even though I didn't use that draft at all, um, it's a it's a good indication of what a busk front does in that era. So I, I added one of our, our 12 inch busks that we already had in production. Yeah. And uh, yeah, just cut off the tabs. That's really it. That's about all I did. <laughs> I changed some seam line placement a little bit, but if I lay those patterns on top of each other there, you can tell that it's just a, a evolution process from the earlier one. And you see that with the extants too. You yeah. see where those seam lines are, are tracking across the body. Yeah, no, when a few years ago when I was kind of going down this, what are stays, what are corsets, what are jumps, what's happening here, how much of a transition mm -hmm. actually happened, this is really fuzzy because it seems like it it's not a hard line like people might think it is and it might be just as simple as like you say taking your 1780s stays putting room for your boobs in them and then all of a sudden you're like yeah this is great or a little like, bit of drawstring here a little bit of something something oh. there um and I do I find it interesting just like you say um this is kind of random but one I really wish that you had released those when we were working on the 90s chapter of the book <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I mean, you released them. I was like, "Damn it, damn it!" I know. I was, I was too slow. I was like four months too slow. <laughs> oh but um, what I found interesting, and Lauren and I were actually talking about this was seventeen nineties, and I can see where a, a better busk would be would be more useful because the stays that I wear with my seventeen nineties outfit, I actually didn't make them for seventeen nineties. I made them for summer stays to wear in, with seventeen seventies and eighties. I'm just so busty that they're just a little softer, a little curvier, <laughs> uh, a little bit more natural in their shaping. But I had a issue of my my um, lacing in the front from the heat at Jane Austen Fest. I started having a flip. Uh. And it was really frustrating because oh. you could kind of see it starting sticking out of the front of my dress. And I was like, Stop. Oh, at the bottom? Yeah. Or at the top? I was so mad yeah. because it was just starting to shape to me. And me sitting down, that having a, a straighter wooden busk um, would probably honestly yeah. have been better. Because you're already looking a little prego to begin with. The last thing you really want is like, <laughs> yeah. work its way out. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I remember. what's your bone? What's the boning in the front of those? What baleen. do you have for boning in there? It's baleen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really thick piece. I thought I, I figured you were talking about that set, which yeah. I've, of course, well, I, um, I know this is going to upset some people, but both of my 18th century stays, if I make 18th century stays, they have baleen in them. Um, the summer mm -hmm. stays are a mix. There's some cable ties in them as well, but it, uh, I still use baleen. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I just, yeah, it, I have, it, it does. It molds to the body and it warms up and that heat yeah. yes exactly and it was like, <laughs> like no <laughs> well you could add a busk down the front you could, if, if you have if your lacing is wide enough you can slide a busk yeah. down through the lacing it would have to be a wider one too because I have like I have about a one inch one and a half inch gap there in the front so I would have to put oh gotcha yeah so I would want to make sure that do, it would do a hold stomacher place. with a busk in it maybe I don't know yeah. <laughs> So, so well, Abby, uh, you are going to Jane Austen Festival yeah. this year. I am. And true. you may need a new um, corset. <laughs> Say, we I know happen somebody to know, makes or them. You could, I know, or you could try some on. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I need a new 18. I need a new proper Regency one is what I need. The one that I have is horrifically uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It, a little bit of weight gain, a little bit of patterning issues combines into a really yeah. uncomfortable Regency corset, unfortunately. Um, I have made some uncomfortable corsets in my in my past. The, I, I the worst one. Oh no! The worst one I ever made was this 1910s thing that I made. I think it was about 18, and I wore it for half a day, and I wanted to die. <laughs> I don't know what it was about the the actual shaping of that corset, but it was 
bad. So yeah, if of course it doesn't fit you. It is excruciating. And I think that's part of where a lot of the myth comes from that they're always painful and always terrible. And so that leads into a, a good point um, to talk about is here, here we all, all are. Here's me and Abby. We've been costuming for a really long time. We've made corsets and stays. And at this point, I just want to buy everything from you because you've figured, you've taken the time and the development to figure it all out so that I don't have to, because I know that I don't know enough to make a decent corset for a new period, especially like I, those stays are different. I'm like, I could do stays, but the time that goes into them, is like, why didn't I just buy these from Cynthia? They're reasonably priced. I know it's going to be a good product and it's going to fit and be more comfortable than what I can make. So, um, that's why we're like all over the place recommending you right now is because Abby and I have just received courses from Cynthia, everybody. Yeah. Um, Three between that the, the two of we're us. So, we're so impressed with it. Just beyond impressed with it. It's like, I could not have... I'm so happy to spend money here. <laughs> could not have made this. Would not have made it. <laughs> well, I can show you my uh, my American Duchess shoe closet. Yeah. So, <laughs> exactly. We've both found niches where people just either can't or don't want to make something. You know, so many people want to make the pretty dresses and make the the stuff over top, the stuff that you see. And you're you're stuck because the first thing you need is that silhouette. And it and can be really daunting. So to make other than shoes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not necessarily sure of what patterns to get, what materials if you're if you're new to it, what boating materials. I mean we get so many questions about stays and even the stays patterns that we've produced with simplicity they just they don't fit everybody how do you alter them where do you lengthen it do i need to shorten it where are the tabs supposed to break what kind of body material do i use what kind of material do i need to have straps it goes on and on and on and there's not just one answer for for everybody you know no there isn't so so that's where you come in Well, our corsets don't fit everyone, you know, that I will never have a standard line that fits every yeah. person. Um, but that's why we do custom work too. And then one other, th- like the other thing that I feel very strongly about is having a standard plus size line mm-hmm. in stock, because I feel like that is a huge gap across the board for historical costuming. It's hard to find plus size corsets and stays and costumes and uh it's I think it's important to fill that niche and so it's even though the patterning is tricky yeah um, it's something I feel strongly about offering for sure yeah definitely so if you are a new costumer or even if you're you're a seasoned costumer and you're like oh I'd like to try this new period or wow my stays just really suck (laughs) give red threaded a look (laughs) You're going to be impressed with the work. You you yeah. are going to be impressed with the way they fit, the way they feel, and mm-hmm. the quality of them. And, you know, Made in America by somebody who's actually in the costume community. Yeah. Somebody who is us. So yeah. I think that's really, really important. You're not an unknown mm-hmm. entity or unknown quantity, you know. it's We know you. We we follow you online. We know your work. Yeah. You're here. You're a real person. I love person. how small and supportive the historical costume community is. It's it's really great how everybody supports each other and, you know, we all have these niche businesses, but it, it all seems to be working. So that's, it's yeah. really enjoyable to see where things go and who orders from us. And yeah, it's well, exciting to the business thing. I was actually thinking about this today about, I'm really curious how many other niche communities there are that, at least in my opinion, I feel like we're actually dominated by female-owned businesses, you know, that it's a lot of yes. female entrepreneurs yeah. versus versus predominantly men. I know there are male entrepreneurs in our community, but but I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, here is this weird little community, and we're all just a little bunch of nerds, and yeah. but we're, we're business people, and, and we're doing this thing, and so many of us are women, and how... And how inspired I was just like sitting here thinking to myself, it's like, wow, like I'm going to sit here and talk to this person and, and just how my Facebook timeline has changed with, with people that I've met who are businesswomen in this community, whether it's you or Taylor or Lauren Rosebrook or Lauren Marangola, it's, it's so inspiring, (laughs) you know? 
Jennifer Rosebeck. <laughs> All the Laurens yeah. everywhere. There's so many Laurens. Did I say Lauren Rosebrook? <laughs> you said Lauren Rosebrook, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, we have built <laughs> We're I thought I butchered her last name now. again, and I was like, oh, no. Just Lauren of historicals. <laughs> the Lauren. Historical things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, it's great. And it is empowering to see all these these women running these businesses. One of the things that, that reminds me about, one of the things about theater is that um, traditionally costume shops are, are rather underpaid. Um the create, you know, the creative arts are in general yeah. underpaid, but costume shops are some of the worst offenders mm-hmm. in the industry, and it is because it is women's work traditionally, and it ties into all of that. So it is empowering to see us starting our own businesses where we have more say in the terms and the, you know, the pay scales and um, a little bit more bargaining power, I yeah. think, on on things like that. I don't, I, there are times when I think, okay, if I, if the business fails, I'll go back to theater. But um, to speak candidly to millions of, not millions, hundreds, tens of people, whoever's listening to this, five people, uh, (laughs) um, I don't know that I could afford to work in a theater here. I don't think I could. Um, It is... It is a very underpaid industry, and so that's another thing I'll say to, to newbies who are who are studying this: is you know, fight for pay, don't work for free. You don't, you shouldn't be expected to work for free. You shouldn't be expected to work for minimum wage if you have a degree in this field. Um, yeah. So that's my little soapbox there, that I think is important for us to um, pay attention to going forward. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. That that is really interesting because it. There's a lot of issues in that that I think are very important that you could go down, just pick one and go down about what you said about women's work and seamstressing and, Mm -hmm. you know, being expected to work for free in a costume shop to gain, uh, scare quotes here, experience. And here we are, these millennials, us entitled millennials, just sort of punching through these walls of like, well, there's no jobs available, so what are we going to do? And something that's important to all people, but we get tagged with it all the time is uh, making a difference in the world is important to millennials. Making a difference in the world is important to everybody. Yeah. And the way that we're doing it is by, by bringing these items, making these items available in our hobby, historical costuming, all of the uh, societal ways in which our tiny little niche works there's other hobbies like that. I mean, yeah. my husband's into like remote control airplanes and uh, motorized bikes and mountain bikes and mm-hmm. all kinds of, you know, man things. And, <laughs> oh, well, that was super sexist to say. <laughs> uh, let's Lord just erase man. that part. Let me start that over. So my husband Air is quotes. into, my husband's into all kinds of like, he, you know, motorized bicycles and remote control aircraft and, and these other hobbies. And when he tells me about the dynamics in those hobbies, they're exactly the same as we have now. And there's also small niche businesses serving the specific needs of those communities. And we're all making a go of it. I mean, you're employing people, Cynthia. You you just expanded your shop, Yay. which is amazing, based in Colorado. We have a warehouse, a 3,000 square foot warehouse and office, and we employ people in Reno, Nevada, and we make historic shoes. And yeah we're all getting paid and we're all making a living on our, what we love serving this community and doing it because nobody else was doing it before. <laughs> nobody was doing it. So yeah. there is a need and you can make a living on your passion. You can love what you do, even yeah. if some days it's hard and some days it's fun <laughs> and some days you want to cry, you know, you can make a living and other people can make a living on what, what you do in your hobby. I think it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, you just have to be creative about how are you going to do that? Where's the niche? Yeah. How are you going to make what this work? What do people actually need mm-hmm. rather than what you're trying what you what you think people need? It's where is the hole in the market? Yeah. And you're filling it in spades. I think I think that's just amazing. I have the utmost I'm fangirling. Oh my god. Which is I, I think okay, so like costume college is just a bunch of 
like nerds fangirling at each other awkwardly from across the room, but it's pretty true because I have, you know, I watched before Lauren and I knew each other, I watched American Duchess grow from nothing. And I, it, I looked up to that as something like, wow, if that can do it, if that business can succeed, there is room in this, this will work. We can do this. <laughs> so I think. And here it's we all, all are inspiring. in 2018 doing <laughs> it. Gosh. Doing own super niche businesses. Okay, so going with your discoveries, I want to switch the, to kind of the opposite side of, of this learning historic corset patterning uh, spectrum of what was the actually most challenging uh, corset pattern that you've done so far? Which one really just totally threw you for a loop and made you want to throw up your drafting equipment, ugly cry in the bathroom, and drink a bottle of wine by yourself. <laughs> uh, well, everyone says that S-Pen corsets are hard, and yeah, they are. They are hard. <laughs> it is a weird shape. There are tough pieces. Actually, the hardest thing about the S-Pen corset was trying to develop a pattern that was at all, like, makeable. Yeah. At our price point, even close to our price point. I mean, our, our S-Bend corset, I think, is the most expensive standard stock we sell. And it's because those things have so many dang seams and oh. weird things to stitch together. You've got these gores and these, like, opposing curves. They're just hard to make. And it was tricky to grade those up, too, size-wise. Um, mm. it, it took a lot of development and, and mock-ups and revisions, more than I usually need for a new... Um, pattern line for that style that was tricky um a but lot of the other styles corset I love it okay. <laughs> it's one of the ones I you have one yeah and I can get a four and a half inch reduction in it like dang girl awesome. <laughs> I'm so jealous I'm, I'm so jealous <laughs> it's like I didn't know my waist could go that small I was like wee <laughs> just keep pulling and it's not too it the cool thing about that era is it does just do the waist, right? It's, you don't have a ton of pressure on the ribs. Mm -mm. They're, they're reducing in the one spot they want to reduce, and then everything else is just sort of like let it all hang, hang out yeah. because we want curves. <laughs> yeah, when I first put it on, I was a little nervous because it was the top of the corset sat right at that right threshold there. of this could be fine or this could really not be okay. <laughs> it's like, if I, if I move too quickly, things are going to pop out. <laughs> yeah. That's another difference. Going back to the yeah. difference between historical and modern, a lot of historical corsets do end pretty much right yeah. at the bust point. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, people will be like, can I wear this without something under it? And I'm like, well, nope. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> It depends on the setting, I suppose. <laughs> so it's fine because you will peep. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there there are settings where you you go for that, sure. But yeah, <laughs> wear a chemise under your corset, please, people. Oh, yeah, go without one. Ooh. Uncomfortable. <laughs> so <In> there. <laughs> How'd that go for you, Lauren? Uh, chafy. It's chafy. <laughs> There was a lot wrong with that night. I wore a, um, it was my very first like robe à la anglais made out of this horrible like upholstery taffeta <laughs> long time ago. And I didn't have stays, so I wore a Victorian corset, but I didn't have like a chemise or any kind of shift or anything. To, I didn't know what to put under it, so I just wore the corset against my skin, which I knew better than to do. Um, and then the dress over it and went to a dance and it was just sort of like oh you poor thing Ow. <laughs> interesting yeah mm. never to be repeated again I think we've all done that <laughs> or we've all done something like that where you're like yeah. oh you have to learn wow, that how, right? you do mm -hmm. <laughs> we all start yeah. somewhere Ooh. sorry i'm like having sympathy pains like thinking about it <laughs> Like, yeah. you're deformed, deformed and, and marked body at the end of the night. You're like, oh. And it, <laughs> anyway, um, the dark side of costuming. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so you've done so well already, and, and you've been in the business now technically since 2010, correct? Um, just growing and growing. It's like 2009. 2009. Okay. Nine years. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. So with that, woo, 10-year anniversary is coming up. 
Where do you see the business going? Like, what are your, what you can talk about other than like top secret takeover the world plans, which we all have, but where do you see? And we definitely want to hear, but off the record. Yeah. (laughs) But where do you see? We have some too. Because you've kind of already have some stuff in the works already. So what are your plans for Red Threaded to, to expand over the next couple of years? Yeah. Um, That is a good question. It's exciting. And I'm sure I'll come up with even more schemes along the way. But our next big thing is um, kind of a a fancier corset line. So it's called Atelier. You you both have a corset from that line. Unfortunately, Abby didn't get the fancy... Abby didn't get the fancy label or packaging because we didn't have it yet. I was like, uh-oh, she's going to be I jealous. I want the box real bad. <laughs> okay. We've decided to share custody of the box. Maybe I'll send you a box with a label in it. It'll just be a label. Just a box. Just a box. <laughs> we have a story um, for you later. Yeah. <laughs> but Atelier is um, our way of showing that we can do more than just the stock corsetry because we do a lot of custom orders, but those orders get shipped out and we never see them again. So right. we have done some some beautiful photography and kind of distilled down some basic fancy styles in several different periods uh, to showcase what we can do on a on a grander scale so for people who don't want basic white and don't want just kind of your standard everyday run-of-the-mill corset they can order something from the atelier line and we'll have um the process will be a little more streamlined you know you can choose a few colors customize a few things but it's much more visual of like this is the stuff that you could get um on that note, I also am planning to release a line this year of stays, um, probably doing our our standard style, like so the same patterns, but yeah. with synthetic whalebone. Yeah. And those will also be in, in kind of a drab sort of buff color. Uh, yeah. So I'm going to have our standard um, cotton sateen custom dyed to a color that kind of resembles those the, so many stays from the yeah. period are that that drab buff brown yeah. so we're gonna do that um for people who want a different material there and we'll probably take that up through regency um the 1830s stays that you have lauren those we will be introducing into the stock line in a like abbreviated you know less fancy style so those will fill in between because right now we have a gap between our like 1820s days and the 1860s. So that will help span that gap. Yeah. And then (laughs) because I don't know what it is to not have tons of work, we (laughs) will be starting the Anastasia tour build uh, in June. Awesome. So the show is doing well, which is. is always great. And, um, I don't know how much has been announced publicly. I know that the tour has been announced publicly, so I can talk about that. We're going to be building most of the costumes for Act 1. I did the math, and it's something like, oh, it's like 40 full costume looks or something. Oh it, it's, it is, is this including so, Empress and Corey? No, we, we don't no, okay. build them. So we pretty much just built the peasants and the Russian comrades. So lots of really heavy wools and textures and stuff here in July, which is always lovely, but (laughs) it's like, why are we sewing coats? It's July. It's so warm. (laughs) So there's that. And then there, there will be more productions of Anastasia um, globally that I don't know which ones have been announced yet, but there will be more. So when we're not doing corsets, we're basically going to be doing Anastasia full time from June until next year. That's awesome! Wow. Congratulations. That that's amazing. And Anastasia was amazing. We saw yeah. it on Broadway when we were there in December, and it was unbelievably good. It was just amazing. Ready? So that's very exciting. Very very exciting for you. It's exciting. And uh, we we really like working with the designer for that show, Linda Cho, and. Uh, it was too bad that she didn't get the Tony. I was a little biased on that one, I think. But <laughs> Who won the okay, Tony? she got a nomination. Um, is it terrible that I can't remember? No. <laughs> Who won this past year? I can't remember. It, it was not Anastasia, which was the thing that I like was watching for. Um, yeah. Well, that court gown that the yeah. Empress wears, it's like, whoo! Like, that came out when Lauren and I both went, oh my! Gasp, like, we gasped. 
everybody yeah. asks. Like, yeah. Most of those costumes were built in New York. So all of the fancy court type stuff that was that was made in New York. Uh, her red dress with the sort of Pen- interesting panniers. Yeah, that a Pen- little yes. like yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag panniers. Yes. That was made. Um, that was made at Eric Winterling Studios in New York. So most awesome. of the fancy stuff is made there. Cool. And you guys have probably stuff there because what yeah. happens is the, the design teams rent rooms in these shops as the kind of their home base for each show mm-hmm. so if you've shipped to those costume shops that's probably what is happening the design team for a show is having it shipped to their their like rental space that makes, that makes they'll, like, rent, yeah they'll rent out yeah. a fitting room or an office or something for the production and that's where you know that it's it's fun place to be when they're in mid-build because the shop there'll be a, a assistant or an intern like shopping and coming back with you know armfuls of fabric and then oh the shoes just came in from American Duchess look at these <laughs> I was actually in a, in one of the Anastasia fittings last year and my friend <laughs> Ricky Lurie who is the uh, associate designer on Anastasia opened a box and he was like ooh look what your friends made <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome oh, yeah, cool. they sent them all back uh, oh. <laughs> why like productions will usually have like four or five shipping addresses yeah and it's always a question of like hmm, where do we send our postcard that's why they all come yeah, back I think. that is hard because a lot of designers don't have a specific home studio base some of them do but a lot of them don't have stuff shipped there i think just to keep it a little on the yeah. dl you know totally so people like us can't spam them with catalogs <laughs> yeah <laughs> Well, it's always a toss-up. Half of them, we just kind of look at the address and we go, hmm, this is for a show. That looks plausible. Or they yeah. call and they're like, I'm working on this show and I need this. And you're like, okay. Sometimes they tell you and sometimes they won't tell you. So. Yeah. Tell me more. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty so fun. Exciting well, any more questions? So. Um, I think we're going to have a lot of editing on this one. Yeah. but. <laughs> Well, Any more I, questions for Cynthia? I mean, yes and no. I think maybe just like, because we've done a lot of corset talk and we've done a lot of business talk. So we've gotten some good advice for young people who want to get into the industry. I think hopefully they'll take this podcast and the Constance podcast and be able to to get some, some good professional life tips uh, in there. But from yeah, a corset... Oh, <laughs> from, a, from a corset maker and corset wearer perspective as someone who makes them... A lot of people, when they first put a corset on, and I was this way, but this was like back in the early 2000s when understanding historic corset shapes wasn't really out yet. Um, what are yeah. your tips for for wearing a corset, especially if you're not used to it? What what are the things to not do or things to do? Wear a chemise, <laughs> as we just discussed. You know, wear something under it, please. Even if it's just a camisole or something while you're trying it on or, or wearing it around to get used to it. That's the other thing is you, you want to get used to it. So ideally, you're going to wear it for a few hours, a few times before your event at least. Um, if In the modern waist training community, there's a lot of discussion of seasoning. So you want to season your corset and some um, companies have specific like seasoning guidelines like on day one you wear it this long, on day two you wear it this long. I don't get that specific, but you do want to allow the corset to kind of break into your body and allow your body to get used to wearing it. It's a lot like shoes. You don't want to put on brand new hiking boots and go hike the Grand Canyon. Right. You know, you need to break that in. You need to get used to it before you go dance all night. Um, so, so take the corset for a test run a few times and tighten it gradually too. So I always say tighten it a little bit and then tighten it more after a few minutes. 20 minutes or so, usually you can tighten it further because the, the corset's kind of warmed up to you and you've kind of settled into it. So that helps. Um, and put your shoes on first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Shoes before corset. And then the last thing I would say is that it's not supposed to hurt. If yeah. it hurts, 
it means you've either laced too tightly, which is easy to do. Um, you know, you might lace it and be like, oh, that's kind of tight, but I think I can do it. And after 10 minutes, you're like, I, I cannot do this. Loosen <laughs> yeah. it up a little bit. Um, so either if it hurts, it's too tight or it doesn't fit you or both. Um, it shouldn't hurt. Like right. you should not be in pain ever yeah. when you're wearing a corset. If you are, there's something wrong with the, the situation that you've got going on there, either fit or tightness. Or just a weird pressure point. Some of sometimes they cause pressure points. Now that being said, I love taking off a corset at the end of the day <laughs> after a historical event. That's great. But I mean I also like taking my shoes off or my bra off at the end of the day, you know, it's the same yeah. kind of thing. So there's a difference between like wow, I've been wearing this all day, like mild discomfort and tiredness and actual pain. You should yeah. not be in pain. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great top tips Woo! from Cynthia Sochi from Red Threaded, whom Yay! we are interviewing today. Well, I hope everybody found that enlightening. I know I did. This and I great. think Abby, Abby's smiling in our <laughs> She's like, ah! Um, so... Cynthia, tell us how people can find you, get in touch, order corsets, yada, yada, Facebook, social, all of that. Give us give us your access points. That's okay. not a weird. <laughs> access points. Corset access points. <laughs> well, you can go to redthreaded.com. That's our, our website. You can also find us on Etsy, but we really love it if you order through the website um, because then we save on Etsy fees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, um, Red Threaded at both of those. And you can email me at info at redthreaded.com or however else you want to find me out there. I'm all over the internet, so, you know. All the Red Threaded. <laughs> Yeah. Awesome. awesome. Well, thank awesome. you so well, thank you, much. Thank you. This thank has been you awesome. So much. Yeah, I've I got a great people are really going to like. I hope so. Yeah. Um, thank you for listening to Fashion History with the American Duchess. I am Abby Cox. And I'm Lauren Stoll. And you can find us at AmericanDuchess.com on Facebook and Instagram with American Duchess. You can also email us at info at AmericanDuchess.com, blog.americanduchess.com. And if you want vintage shoes, it's royalvintageshoes.com. Uh, we'll see you all next time. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Yes, perfect timing for our